Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Learn more about the program, podcast, our thank you gift, and how to donate when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 called The Lord's Supper. picking it up at 1 Corinthians 11 in verse 17. The Apostle Paul writes, but in giving this instruction, 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, 18, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I will not praise you. 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat the bread of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. May the Lord write his word upon our hearts. You may be seated. If you join me in prayer, Father, thank you so much for this great day, this Lord's Day that you have given us. It is a blessing to be with your family. It is a blessing to be in Christ. For those who may not know you today, those who may have wandered from the faith or may have wandered as a prodigal, I pray that you would bring them home. And I pray, Lord, that as we look at a text where the Corinthians were sadly abusing and misrepresenting the Lord's Supper, I pray that you would show us what you want us to hear and see in our day. Because there is a possibility that in our day we could do the same, that we could be irreverent or unfeeling towards those around us, Lord. We are all different, and the common thing we have is that we're all one in Christ and Jesus, you prayed that we would be one at the the end of the the Lord's Supper when you initiated communion. Your, Your words there in the upper room were, Father, I pray that they would be one. 
And we know at some point even the disciples were arguing at that meal and they were divided and, and you prayed for their unity because their unity would be a witness to a broken and fractured world, a world often without love or with a pseudo-love. And Father, forgive us for the times that we have ignored those right around us or maybe treated them with contempt, if not spoken in the way that we thought about them. Forgive us, Lord, because it's got to start here. If this country is going to heal, it's got to start with your people. And we know even Peter says judgment begins in the house of God. And so, Lord, even though this, is a, this text is about the Lord's Supper and it should be celebratory, there is an aspect of solemnity or it's a holy moment as well. And I pray that that tension will be okay for us as we look at this text and try to understand what you have to say to your church. So may you be glorified as we study your word. May our hearts be pliable to your spirit. And may we be a little closer to you, a little bit more like you, because we've been here. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Some of you have uh, given up television, and I completely understand that. Others of you still watch some TV and it's a little bit more convenient these days to watch TV shows because you can record your favorite show. And one of my favorite shows over the years has been a show called Blue Bloods. Anybody seen the show Blue Bloods with Tom Selleck? All right. There you go. Anyway. And, and the show is about a family involved in law enforcement. And the daughter is the, uh, she's involved in the law. And what they have in the show Blue Bloods that's pretty unique is they have something called the Sunday night dinner. Sunday night dinners at the Reagan house. And the family, it's, it really looks like it's a non-negotiable thing. The family gathers on Sunday evening and they're a Roman Catholic family and they pray. And then if you've ever watched the show, they debate stuff at the table. Man, it seems like they talk about everything, cases that are going on, all of that. And they'll talk and they'll disagree but that family stays united and they reinforce their values around the supper table. And in our culture that's so fast moving and we have so many things going on, just that idea of supper, the supper table has really been lost for a lot of that, a lot of us. And I would encourage you that if that's the case, that maybe you try to get that back. And some of you may be thinking, but that means I have to cook. Yes, it does, but you can delegate cooking. People can all contribute. In fact, those of you with young kids, I would encourage you to think about letting your young kids participate in preparing meals. If you're not doing that right now, let them wash the vegetables, give them the sharpest knife in the house. Let them, no, you want them to be careful, but, but here's the point. That participation, that, that unity around the table speaks volumes and it reinforces values and it helps you to connect with your family. In the ancient world, connecting at a table was a very intimate exchange. In fact, it was something that they, they saw as either building a relationship or keeping a relationship close was around the table. Now, the Lord instituted something that we know as the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Meal. And that meal was a meal that was really centered around Passover, which he then transformed into what we know as the Lord's Supper or communion. And when you think about the word communion, you have to widen it. It's not just your communion with God, as beautiful as that is, but it's your communion with one another. It's that the body of Christ is this beautiful entity, this organism bought with the blood of Jesus, 
And though we may be divided in the world in terms of where we come from, our socioeconomic background, you, you fill in the blanks. We can have all these things that may separate us in the world. As we come to Christ, all of those things are supposed to fall by the wayside. Because we are one in Christ. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter what your family history is. Your bank account says we are one in Jesus Christ. And that is what we need to practice to a world that's very fractured. But unfortunately, here's the reality. Oftentimes, those worldly mindsets get carried into this place as well. And racism and division and class, you know, uh, looking down on the poor or et cetera, et cetera, you fill in the blank, can be brought into a place like this. And that's sad when that happens because that doesn't speak of who we are in Jesus. We are supposed to be a gospel-oriented community centered on the fact that we've been saved by the grace of God. And there's no longer male or female, slave or free. We are all one in Jesus Christ. Now, we know that those distinctions continue. We're still male and female, etc. But the point that Paul is making in Galatians is that those things should not matter anymore because what should trump all of that is our oneness in Jesus. And one day we are going to be at a big long table at the marriage supper of the Lamb and there's a place for each and every one of us at that table. That's the beauty of it. Every tribe, tongue, nation, and people will be represented there. Wouldn't it be good if we practice what's going to happen in the future? Wouldn't it be good if we actually were the answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17, following that Passover meal, that we would actually be one in a world that is so broken, in a world where so many people are just longing for love? Well, the big issue in the text is simply this that the Corinthian believers are abusing the Lord's Supper. It's about their behavior around the Lord's Supper. You study the text, uh, scholars would say that Paul is not really trying to correct their theology about the Lord's table in the sense of his death and resurrection. They get that. What he's trying to uh, deal with in terms of correction is their attitude around the Lord's table. They're bringing their worldly attitude into it. Now, in Corinth, there were classes of people, and there was really, in the ancient world, there was very little to no middle class. So if you, were, if you became a Christian in first century Corinth, you were either rich or poor. There was very little in between. Remember, church buildings came later, a couple centuries later. So homes in these, uh, in these contexts were the places where churches met. There weren't church buildings People, and this would have to be typically a wealthy individual, would open up their home to the church. Could be a Saturday night, could be a Sunday, and the church would gather. And what the church would do is something called a love feast. And it's similar, but not exactly the same as our potlucks, as we all have enjoyed over the years. And people would show up, and in the Roman world, if you were a servant or a slave, half of the Roman world was in some form of servitude. Or if you were a freedman or something like that, you had little to no control over your schedule. So if the church set a time to have, let's say, a love feast that would culminate in the uh, uh, Lord's Supper, you got there whenever you could. Whenever your master said you could go, that's when you went. You might be late. And if you were poor, you would have very little to bring to that occasion.
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Our mission here at Walk in Truth is to equip you with the Word of God and to give you the tools to express your Christian faith. But how do you initiate conversations effortlessly? Walk in Truth and Pastor Michael Lance would like to offer you the 10th anniversary edition of Tactics, a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions by Greg Kokel. This is how to navigate a conversation to build a bridge from a conversation to get to spiritual truths and to get to the gospel. We are offering the book Tactics as a thank you when you give a donation of $20 or more to Walk in Truth. Visit walkintruth.com, click the donate button, or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's walkintruth.com or 844-48-TRUTH. Make sure you subscribe to the Walk in Truth podcast, available on your favorite podcast app. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. One day we are going to be at a big long table at the marriage supper of the Lamb and there's a place for each and every one of us at that table. That's the beauty of it. Every tribe, tongue, nation, and people will be represented there. Wouldn't it be good if we practice what's going to happen in the future? Wouldn't it be good if we actually were the answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17 following that Passover meal that we would actually be one in a world that is so broken, in a world where so many people are just longing for love? Well, the big issue in the text is simply this, that the Corinthian believers are abusing the Lord's Supper. It's about their behavior around the Lord's Supper. You study the text, uh, scholars would say that Paul is not really trying to correct their theology about the Lord's table in the sense of his death and resurrection. They get that. What he's trying to uh, deal with in terms of correction is their attitude around the Lord's table. They're bringing their worldly attitude into it. Now, in Corinth, there were classes of people, and there was really, in the ancient world, there was very little to no middle class. So if you, were, if you became a Christian in first century Corinth, you were either rich or poor. There was very little in between. Remember, church buildings came later, a couple centuries later. So homes in these, uh, in these contexts were the places where churches met. There weren't church buildings. People, and this would have to be typically a wealthy individual, would open up their home to the church. Could be a Saturday night, could be a Sunday, and the church would gather. And what the church would do is something called a love feast. And it's similar, but not exactly the same as our potlucks as we all have enjoyed over the years. And people would show up, and in the Roman world, if you were a servant or a slave, half of the Roman world was in some form of servitude. Or if you were a freedman or something like that, you had little to no control over your schedule. So if the church set a time to have, let's say, a love feast that would culminate in the uh, uh, Lord's Supper, You got there whenever you could. Whenever your master said you could go, that's when you went. You might be late. And if you were poor, you would have very little to bring to that occasion. You might not have much food at all. Let's just imagine you had a family of five and you were a poor person. Remember, uh, day laborers relied heavily just on getting a paycheck at the end of the day so they could buy enough for their family to survive. So think about these class distinctions. Think about a wealthy homeowner who's a Christian who's opened up their home, used to having extravagance, used to having plenty, bread and wine, and maybe they would supply some of that. 
But people would arrive and they were all at these different places. Now, as you do a little research on this time, what they say is that the potluck of modern uh, churches in America and other places is not exactly right. It's not the exact parallel because what people did is they prepared what's called box meals. They would, they would put it in like a basket meal and they would show up to uh, a gathering. But when they showed up, it was not about sharing. It was just about eating whatever you brought. So whatever you could afford to bring, that's what you shared with your family. So I want you to imagine for a moment that you show up at a potluck, you're a poor family, you just got off work, you were able to grab your family and show up, maybe you had a a little bit of bread, and you show up to this rich uh, household where they're also Christians there, but maybe they got there earlier and they're eating already and enjoying what they've prepared while you have very little. Let's just say that you're dividing a little loaf of bread among your family. Well, in this time, it wasn't like everybody put a pot on the counter to share. You just ate what you brought. And those who were wealthy were used to eating while servants stood around and watched them and served them. And that seems to be the backdrop, that those attitudes of class distinctions, etc., were coming into the church love feast. And people were not really sharing with one another. They weren't really reflecting what the Lord's Supper is supposed to reflect. The meal has a message. And the message is that the God of heaven so loved you and me that he came down and sacrificed his life and gave everything for us. And imagine here we are at an ancient love feast that culminates in the Lord's Supper and we can't even share with other people. And maybe even in our excess, we start to mock other people who have very little and don't dress as well as we do, etc., etc. Paul had heard about this. And for Paul, it was a travesty. Stephen Ohm, who has written a commentary on 1 Corinthians, says, whereas most groups divide up along the lines of rich, poor, and free slave, the church is to be the one institution where things get flipped upside down. When Christians eat common bread and drink from a common cup, it is a symbol a visual representation of the common divisions and disunities of our world being conquered in Christ. We tend to marginalize others who are different than we are. We tend to alienate people as the other because they are not like us. Therefore, rather than being concerned about their interests, we place ourselves at the center and ask everyone else around us to revolve around us. But the beauty, says Um, of the Lord's Supper is that there is a common bread and a common cup, close quote. It makes us one in Christ. Those divisions should die in the church. But like a lot of things that we all wrestle with, we can carry stuff into our Christianity. And we're all works in progress. And we all need to admit right now, me included, that, Lord, you need to change my heart in some areas. There may be things that I don't see that are in my heart that can come out in the way I think or the attitudes I project to others, and that's just frankly wrong. I want to be like you. I want to see those barriers broken down. I saw how you went to the Samaritan woman. I saw how you went to those who were outcasts of society. And if I'm going to eat your supper, I want to do it to your honor. And I want to do it to your glory. The Lord's Supper is just that. It belongs to him and he calls us to it. And when it's done right, it's beautiful, isn't it? We often, you know, get a chance 
in this particular congregation to come to the front uh, when the services are a little bit smaller and we come down together and we eat of the bread and we drink of the cup. And it becomes a testimony of our unity and our oneness in Christ. You see, we are supposed to be an alternate community, an upside-down social order. We are to be a gospel community. The meal can get muddied if our conduct is wrong when we come into a place like this. Christ's loving sacrifice should be at the heart of what we do. Instead of this meal, though, in Corinth being a theater of grace, it became a theater for class division. It became a theater for others looking down on other people. And whenever that happens in the church, it is a sad commentary. Because it means that we really haven't gotten in touch with God's grace. Because if you understand the depths of God's grace, that stuff will go away because all ground is level at the foot of the cross, brothers and sisters. And we need to see that the change has got to start in the church. The Lord's Supper provides a special opportunity for God's people to come to the table. The head seat is taken. It's by the head of the church, Jesus. He is the head, we're the body. And so we want to reflect and honor the head of the table when we come to his table. There should be none of this. And this is what Paul says in 17. He says, but in giving this instruction, I do not praise you. Because you come together, the verb is used five times in the section, you come together not for the better, not for the greater advantage, but for the worse, for the weaker. In verse 2 of chapter 11, Paul praised the church that they kept some of the traditions that he had passed along to them. But now he says, I will not praise you because when you gather around the Lord's table, it is not for the better, it is for the worse. Now that's a sad commentary. If you go to church, you hope that it's ultimately for the better, right? That you've edified somebody else, that you've built up somebody else, that you gave somebody else a hug or shared the love of Jesus. But what a sad commentary if the church comes together and ultimately it's for the worse. Somebody, someone would leave the church building unedified or torn down or looked upon with contempt. That is the exact opposite of what Christ wants. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, says the writer of Hebrews, not forsaking our own assembly together as the, is the habit of son, but encouraging one another, Hebrews 10, 24, 25, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We've all studied the passages about our words and how our words can either build up, edify, or tear down. Well, when we come into the setting of corporate worship or a Bible study or wherever we may be, and we've gathered in the name of Christ, then Christ is the one who is to lead what we do and how we behave. You're listening to The Lord's Supper, Part 1 on Walk in Truth. Hey, remember to check out our thank you gift for your $20 donation on walkintruth.com. Also, Walk in Truth is available on podcast apps like iHeartRadio, iPodcast, and Spotify. Please follow us and listen whenever you want. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Well, sometimes when we dive into teaching on the Lord's Supper and we have a warning passage, we wonder, you know, should I be taking communion at all? And, you know, how do I balance uh, the rules and the, what maybe sometimes even appears to be a legalistic attitude? How do we do this? And who is really qualified to take communion anyway? Well, you know, really, when it comes to the Lord's Supper, it's really all about your heart. It's really all about 
not perfection, but just coming to the Lord in humility and not coming with a wrong attitude or a sinful, unrepentant attitude. And that's kind of where we're drilling down. You know, honoring the Lord in worship includes honoring him at his table. And it means you come to him in honesty, you come in transparency, you come, you know, doing some business with the Lord, but you also come with a celebrative attitude, a grateful attitude for what the table of the Lord means. So as we get into the more difficult section about some people who were paying the price for the wrong approach to the Lord's table, these are certainly extreme examples, but they are ones that we need to consider so that we don't stumble others or dishonor the Lord. And this is where I, I've been talking to you that we really need to consider getting honor back into our vocabulary. Well, hey, I'd love for you to download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app in your app store today so that you can come out and worship with us when we're having Sunday services and the like. In fact, we're going to have a worship night on February the 16th. This is an all-church worship evening, and you're part of the church, so you're invited to come. Hey, if you go somewhere else on a Sunday morning, but you'd love to spend some time just worshiping the Lord in song, we're going to mix in a testimony as well. This is a great evening, and we invite you to come. Bring you and your family out. We'll worship the Lord. We'll have a good stretch of just focusing on Him in song. It's a beautiful night, February 16th at Living Truth in the city of Corona. Visit walkintruth.com and click on events to get more information or download the Living Truth app in your app store today. God bless you. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Tune in tomorrow for the Lord's Supper Part 2, Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.